ಮಗ್ಯಾನಂತಿಮಿರಂದಸ್ಯಾಜ್ಞನಾಮಜನಶಲಾಕ್ಷರುನ್ಮಿತಾಮ್ಯೇನಸ್ಮಿಶ್
it's a festival, a great festival for the mind to just speak about, try to say, trying to say something about the unlimited with absolute. So, so we are in a festival on a daily basis. We don't need like big lights and signs or, or, or something apart happening apart from the fact that we can uh, get together and hopefully be as honest as we can. Basically, that's the meaning of satsanga. Satsanga means to... Uh, <clears throat> sat has to do with the truth, not to being honest, basically. And sangha means association, but also sangha means attachment. Christian, the Bhagavad Gita is the word attached, sangha for attachment. So satsanga means... If you want to play it a little bit more out, it's become attached to be honest. <laughs> so satsanga means a circle with people in which that type of attachment will be promoted, that will be inspiring each other to be as honest as we can. That satsanga, sadhu sangha, getting together is not a mere social function, so to say that, okay, we have to perform, but it's just, let's be as raw and vulnerable and open as we can to have the full experience of sat sangha so so that's where we are now today and as part of our daily festival celebration or pilgrimage if you want you know, as krishna chandra prabhu put it in switzerland we, we are on a pilgrimage doesn't only mean let's take a plane to india or let's move physically somewhere but the real pilgrimage happens inside. So through these gatherings and sharing, we are being invited to an inner pilgrimage. We are invited to reach some sac very sacred spots, corners in our inner self by hearing, by talking, by asking, by opening, by dialogue. All that is in itself a pilgrimage. So, so all these days that we are spending together is a pilgrimage, basically. Even if we will not go anywhere and just stay in this same room for a week, internally, the idea is to be on pilgrimage. We are pilgrims, basically. That's our identity. <laughs> it's, it's, for me, at least, it's, it's beautiful to identify as such. You know, who you are, I'm a pilgrim. No, I'm a pilgrim, and, and we are accompanying each other. On, on, on the journey, basically. We are all pilgrims accompanying each other in, in, in this sacred journey. So, yeah. We can, if we want to be reductionistic, <laughs> okay, we can all define and see each other in those terms. We are all pilgrims. Well, of course, there are pilgrims that we will find they have a little bit more of experience on the journey, on the path, but we are all pilgrims. So it's, it's important to feel that interrelatedness in, in pilgrimage. <laughs> some know there are pilgrims, some they do not know, so they're more experienced, some less, but life is a pilgrimage. So as part of, of the pilgrimage, as part of the celebration, we are going through all these days. We have it particular celebration inside the celebration today and we are celebrating the fact that Srila Prabhupada touched western soil so to say um, the year 65 so that will be 58 years ago if my math is not failing you correct me yeah. <laughs> we are 23 so yeah it will be 58 
according to the lunar calendar will be a day like today not according to the solar one so that's a very important of course day uh, in one sense of course it's not limited to that day because it's it's it has to do a lot with what happened before that day what happened after that day what's happening today as a consequence of that day <laughs> it's important that we like honor such a day by bearing in mind the whole that putting that day in context no it's not only that day no that day out of everything else is nothing not nothing but my point is it's not a significant oh he landed and landed i mean the ship came to boston okay great but what's behind that <laughs> what happened what took him to reach that day um, what happened after that day and, and of course an important question is what's happening from today onward well, through us <laughs> So for me, that's an important point also. Now, every time we look back and celebrate some glorious person on some glorious day like today, like Srila Prabhupada, it's also important that we are very, how to say, we are, our, our praise is tasteful. And for tasteful, I don't mean find some ornamentation and alankar and poetry, but be accurate in how you how we are committing ourselves we're doing the glorification because we can also glorify someone so as we were talking before as an evasive device so that person is so incredible so glorious and did everything so we don't have to do anything <laughs> we have just to enjoy the fruits of the other person's greatness <laughs> and that's not proper praise committed glorification no? the actual praise will be oh that person did such a thing that it takes me to to ask me like we were talking yesterday what's my contribution to such a to such a glory so what can i how can i offer myself in the best possible way how can i represent that person which is a more complex question to ask than just say kijai I mean, I don't have nothing against the Kijai, but the Kijai has to be grounded in some commitment because if not, we can just resort to Kijai, all glories too, <laughs> as an evasive device. It, everything can happen. Everything can become an excuse or everything can become a, a deep commitment. So it's up to us. <laughs> so <clears throat> today we are celebrating that special day when Srila Prabhupada uh, arrived to Western shores, we could say, which is kind of, I don't know, like him landing on, on the moon or Mars or something like that, no? because he came to another planet, basically. So sometimes we celebrate, I don't know, the appearance day of the descending, the avatar, the manifestation of different forms of the absolute on Earth. No? Bam and Dev came, no? So they landed on planet Earth. So this is something similar. <laughs> Although you may say, well, it's still the same planet. So we technically cannot call that the landing. And he didn't come by air. Yeah, but still he traveled to another. It was another planetary system at that time, especially to go from a place like India, specifically Brindavan, so many years. And suddenly Boston, New York, I mean, it's like, it's another constellation altogether, so to say. So I like to, 
to make that parallel. <laughs> we celebrate with Krishna comes to earth, Mahaprabhu, Nityananda, whatever, Bhamandev, Avatar. Somehow this is not that different. <laughs> it's the same planet, but it's a different planet inside the same planet, so to say, no? Which speaks a lot about, of course, <clears throat> the challenges that, that were there, the, 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 the sacrifice, the dedication of Prabhupada to learn the language of that new planet, so to say, you know, to, to learn to talk to the to the UFOs, so to say, <laughs> not to the alien scenario. He was like discovering one step after another. I mean, try to be empathic as much as you can travel in time. It's difficult because we already were born on this side, so to say. But try to imagine again, you taking a spaceship and landing into Saturn or something with a mission and 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 and, and not knowing where to start in one sense, but also, of course, being completely uh, given yourself to the to the project, so to say. No? So <laughs> there is, yeah, there is a whole sequence of events. Uh, again, as I mentioned, the arrival part is just one, of course, glorious day among so many other glorious days and weeks and months and years uh, that happened before the arrival, which, of course, it's we don't have time to go through all those chapters of the timeline, but it's very important to bear that in mind. Um, like, I, don't know, I remember reading this beautiful book, Our Srila Prabhupada, The Friend to All mm. by Mula Prakriti. Mm. That's where I like that very much because the, the focus of the book is Prabhupada before, before this day we are celebrating today. And that shows also how his commitment, his depth, his prayer, his empowerment his purity and, and his simplicity and, and, and so many qualities no even when he was one more unknown so to say his authenticity was already in place so to say you know and that naturally attracted empowerment that created uh, us as a byproduct <laughs> basically he wants us today we are celebrating our our good fortune, because basically, it, because of a day like today, we are here a day like today. <laughs> a day like today, we are here speaking about a day like this day. And it's important like we establish the, the sambanda or the connection between one day and the other, because one may think and that day was, again, almost 60 years ago, what's the, the relationship port in Boston? Here we are. London 60 years after, but we have to thread not to follow the the thread, you say? Mm -hmm. Not like go back and establish the concomitance <clears throat> between one day and the other. So so we'll mention some words today about that. About of course the title of today's lecture is the radical personalism of Srila Prabhupada. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And the inspiration came to talk about that, of course. I'm also traveling and presenting my book on radical personalism. Uh, but also, I, of course, consider Srila Prabhupada a radical personalist <laughs> for many reasons. So today I was thinking, talking about, of course, this day, about Srila Prabhupada and, 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 and why I consider him as a radical personalist, about someone who was really into into the main, in my consideration, the main ingredients or elements that make for a radical personalist. 
<laughs> so I'll try to, to make some connections. Let's see how how that how that works. <laughs> but so where to begin? As we were talking yesterday, I think yesterday, sorry if I get lost, I gave a few lectures the last month. So it may have been three days ago, two days ago, may have been Switzerland, not here. But but we were talking about Sampradaya, the idea of Sampradaya as a living school. We do not belong to a dead school, but a living school, where everything has to be alive. Each of us, the message is alive, the essence is alive. We are supposed to represent that in a very alive way. Uh, and we are to become prophets in its own way. Prophets do not uh, misunderstand me. It doesn't mean that you have descending for a cloud because sometimes we over deify the, the words. <laughs> a prophet means someone who speaks in behalf of and ultimately is in behalf of God, like who, who's, who is representing God's will on earth. Let's put it like that. Mm -hmm. um, so Sampradaya also can be described as such, a living school of prophets. Maybe it sounds a little challenging that to know that you belong to such a school, but it's our good fortune to, to, to belong to that. Uh, and of course, I personally choose to think of, of Srila Prabhupada as a prophet. In, in this sense, again, no, I don't want to... I mean, not only of Srila Prabhupada, of course, but we're talking today about him. So I think that he's someone who is who has been but I like to talk in present time, who is speaking <laughs> in the name of God, who is representing his will, who is um, willing to talk, speak the truth, basically, to be as truthful as, as one can, with, with all the consequences of that. Talking the truth is not, as we were talking yesterday, very popular. <laughs> Sometimes there is so much... Sometimes we were talking, I think, when we were coming from the airport. Uh, and and some the topic came like, oh, anyhow, I won't go, I won't give names. <laughs> Although there are only two people who came to pick me at the airport. <laughs> or the ones here. But the point was sometimes comes the thing of Maharaj, you are talking always about things that are controversial. And that may take to the idea of why you are so controversial. Uh, and, and the question is, what does it mean to be controversial? What was controversial? And if you talk, the point is that time talking the truth is controversial. <laughs> That's interesting point. So if by talking the truth I'm controversial, okay. For me, it's not being controversial. For me, it's trying to talk about the truth. I'm not saying I'm doing it perfectly, but if you want to call that controversial, it's okay. It's your choice. It, Maybe your problem, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but it's about pursuing the truth, which again, if we are in a world where truth is not the norm, the priority, that may be labeled as controversial. But where truth is the norm, speaking the truth is the norm. It's not controversy. It's just like, of course, we have to be talking about the truth. That's natural. There's n ideally, there's nothing else to do apart from that. <laughs> So that's kind of a, a thermometer of sometimes how how the environment has some difficulty for truth. And this is not to judge anyone, just to understand 
truth is maybe not so popular because it's challenging. Uh, challenging. Sometimes we, like, I think it was who was Oscar Wilde or someone who said, if you are going to tell the truth to someone, tell it with some humor because if not, they will kill you. <laughs> That's why I try to make some jokes when I'm talking and say some things in between. Uh, maybe my last lecture every time I sit here. Uh, <laughs> part of my Mongol utterance, okay, Krishna, this is my last lecture. If someone brought some bombs to the class, okay. Bless me, yeah, bless me, bless me. <laughs> so, of course, we, we laugh about that, but actually there's always some truth in all this, in, in every laughing, so to say. There is some truth coming. So, yeah, if you are too bold and too without filter, people may get too, too nervous and who knows how they may react. No? I will share a few quotes today from my book, if you allow me, with or without your permission. <laughs> so I would like to begin this connection. One quote that I shared here comes to my mind from Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur in connection to, to this spirit of speaking the truth, to this spirit of becoming a, a prophet and not being afraid of, 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 of embracing truth, not only speaking it, of course, because you can also speak so much, but do so little and that's not speaking the truth that's a lie <laughs> so he says this is strong this is he can be as soft as a lotus as hard as a thunderbolt so he's in thunderbolt mode here <laughs> but feel the fragrance of the lotus in between the lines please <laughs> and, and this he's speaking about this as humility also I like this this is what he will say Without cheating anyone, we should boldly proclaim the truth to everyone. If the truth is bitter or unpopular, but bestows blessings on the living entities, we must pick it. Unless we fearlessly speak the truth, the sweet absolute will not be pleased. The aggressive pronouncement of the concrete truth is a crying necessity of the moment for silencing the aggressive propaganda of specific untruths that is being spread all over the world. A chanter of the names of God is necessarily the uncompromising enemy of worldliness and hypocrisy. It is his bounden duty to clearly and frankly oppose any person who tries to deceive and harm himself and others by misrepresenting the truth whether due to malice or genuine misunderstanding. Humility implies perfect submission to the truth and no sympathy for untruth. Therefore, the professors of pseudo-humility have reason to fear the preaching of God's servant, one of, whose, one of whose duties is to expose the enormous possibility of mischief inherent in various forms of so-called spiritual conduct when they are prostituted for serving the untruth. Anyhow, that's a little bit on, on this idea of being a prophet or, or the commitment that we have with truth. And again, we are all meant to become prophets. Again, it's not just Prabhupada Ki Jai, Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta Ki Jai. It's like, okay, I'm also meant, invited, not as a pressure, not as a neurosis, like you have to be a prophet and you're not doing it, but 
I've been invited to be an agent of truth. In this, I mean, every day I have the choice. No, do I <laughs> choose choose for truth or do or do I choose to compromise my integrity? So again, this is not about shame and guilt, but it's about just taking responsibility for our choices. So in my opinion, yeah, Prabhupada was a very uh, prophetical prophet, so to say. So prophet is not so much about telling the future, <laughs> but living the truth, so to say. And by living the truth, probably you will have a view of how things are unfolding. <laughs> and Prabhupada, in his embrace of truth and sincerity, he even part of his prophet side was also to sometimes criticize, as we talk these days, his own tradition or certain state of affairs when he was in the Gudiamat and he saw that there were some things he will not agree with. Okay, he took his stance, he, he, he took his distance, he started his movement, he took some exceptions, uh, not only to things that were happening in other Gaudiya circles, but even in his own, again, mission, Gaudiamat at the time. Mm -hmm. And eventually he even criticized his own project when it was required. No? <laughs> it's not that, okay, I criticize everyone else, but the institution I found that is perfect always. No, no, whenever there was things to acknowledge and address and heal, he was he was ready to do that. He was ready to, like I was always like to quote when the when the, the papers, the legal initial papers of ISCON were founded, there were of course all these rules and things you have to write on the legal level like the institution and this but at the end of that Prabhupada said but the most important rule in founding this is that we should relate through trust love and trust that's the main rule so and then he said and if at some point this rule is transgressed or forgotten we all the effort we are making to create this, we should use all that effort to dismantle this so the love and trust remains. <laughs> no. So that's that's a very telling statement. No. We are making all this huge organization and group and project and hundreds of temples and thousands of people. Yes, but what's the purpose of that? <laughs> love and trust in the center. But at some point that center becomes whatever perverted corrupted distorted forgotten we have to do whatever it's required to bring those ideals back to the center in whatever form that it, it he was willing to do that that's my point that was his commitment to truth again this is the important thing here <laughs> and as i mentioned also in my book that it's important that if you are committed with your ideal or even if we, if you belong to a particular group, sometimes you will criticize that as a symptom of love, mm -hmm. symptom of, of loyalty, even constructive criticism, not destructive. But if I really love you, I mean, the people who knows me more and loves me so much are the ones who have told me the hardest things, also. Mm -hmm. But but from love, as we were talking these days, so that creates transformation that's so telling so anyhow so as we know Srila Prabhupada in that commitment starting his mission with this idea of course all this came from his deep 
sense of discipleship, no? his deep identification as a servant of his own Gurudev, Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta, and his wish also to praise him in terms of spreading the teachings. In English, in the West, as you may know, it's interesting because I like that. Uh, many times, Prabhupada, you may have heard me say, my guru like instructed me to preach in the West and in English. But when you study what Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta actually said, it was more like a suggestion. Like, you speak good English. It may be good if you... It was not like, I order you. But Prabhupada took that as an order. So that's a very interesting point. Like He didn't need his guru to tell him, I'm giving you your life mission here. His, a mere suggestion was enough for him. <laughs> Follow my point. If you are really willing to please and serve someone, a mere suggestion is just your life mission. <laughs> so that's very interesting because sometimes we are just waiting for the life mission to come. So like, yeah. it's not coming. Not I'm not receiving the revelation. But there are so many hints, suggestions, <laughs> indirect things that we need to play out the rest ourselves. To okay, this goes here. No? So, so for me, that's also very, it's not never telling less about Prabhupada that it was a suggestion. On the contrary, it shows his commitment and willingness to dedicate his life. And of course, reaching the day we are celebrating, as we know, going a little bit before this day and, and analyzing what happened before and the time Prabhupada was in India, and especially that historical period in which he was in the, I mean, if, in the Jaladuta, the ship that took him from India to the West, he was so emptying himself so much in prayer, you know, which is one of the main chapters in my book. When I, in the third part of the book, from the seventh chapter, the first one is vulnerability. Because I feel unless you are vulnerable, you cannot open yourself to get what you need to get. First, you have to really empty yourself in front of God. In this case, you have to be naked. You have to allow yourself to be seen by God in all your nakedness with his unconditional love and empty yourself and offer yourself to him. And Prabhupada did that. You know, when you study the prayers he wrote, like in the Jaladuta, the prayer, the lotus feet of Krishna, then what he wrote when he arrived at Boston, this Markine Bhagavad Dharma, May maybe too much to go now through each of them, but but basically he's expressing so much saranagati, so much surrender. No, like, oh Lord, I'm a puppet in your hands. Hmm? If you have me, if you have brought me here to dance, then make me dance, make me dance, oh make me dance. <laughs> so he was totally willing to be uh, instrument. No, he was he emptied himself. To be full, to be filled. I mean, we cannot be filled if we are not emptying ourselves first. It doesn't make too much sense. Pray to Krishna, Krishna, fill me with your mercy. And he will say, okay, first my mercy will come in the form of emptying you <laughs> of a few stuff that are up to your neck. So I need to take away a few, not externally necessarily, no, but empty. You, I will inspire you to empty yourself, you know, to offer yourself in that space so you can be filled. Hmm? So 
So Prabhupada did that, knowing his prayer in the Jaladuta, he was like, I don't know where I'm going, I don't know what's going on here, what's what will happen. <laughs> of course, I don't know so many things, but I have all these certainties at the same time. I'm sure about your mercy, your shelter, my Guru Dev's desire, and so on. So that's a very like healthy combination no? of some certainty and some uncertainty. You know? <laughs> the uncertainty also allows you to explore, to be open, to be vulnerable, to offer yourself in prayer. But also there is this firm foundation and ground in faith and conviction in the in the shelter coming from Krishna, in the mercy coming from being honest and trying to serve one's guru's uh, desire. So that, that's very sweet combination no, we, we should look up i mean every all of us should try to have to find those two things coexisting with one another no no as i also like to speak in my book about um, the coexisting with uncertainty and the unknown and um, it doesn't mean that everything is uncertain no? we have deep trust in certain things and that deep trust allows us to be okay with not knowing certain other things. It's okay to not know something. It's okay to coexist with mystery because we trust the mystery. Krishna is mysterious, <laughs> but we trust his mystery, so to say. The problem will be if something is mysterious and I distrust the mystery, then you're fit for neurosis and paranoia because you go crazy but if you have learned to trust who is behind whatever remains mysterious to you then that's very very important very 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 healthy combination so anyhow Prabhupada in the in regards to this idea of vulnerability and empowerment that I tried to make in my book the point if you want real empowerment you have to be vulnerable first like Mahaprabhu, I like to say, Mahaprabhu is the most volcanic face of the absolute. Srila Siddhar Maharaj will describe Mahaprabhu as the golden volcano of divine love. That was his, he has a whole book with that title. Mahaprabhu is like a golden volcano erupting in ecstasy. The ecstasy will be eruptions. His lava, lava, you say? No, he will say, Mahaprabhu is a golden volcano of divine love erupting in ecstasy with its lava consuming it all on the way. <laughs> so he was very volcanic. He was very empowered. But Mahaprabhu was very vulnerable, as I mentioned in my book. He was Krishna in his moment of greatest need, wanting to taste the mood of Sri Radha. That's very vulnerable. The, the more you are in need, the more vulnerable you are. You are. So Mahaprabhu is Krishna in his most vulnerable moment, and that allows him to be Krishna in his most empowered volcanic moment. So we can see the connection between vulnerability and empowerment. <laughs> and this is what says in Shastra, and Prabhupada is showing this as well. Kali Kalela Dharma Krishna Nam Sankirtan Krishna Shakti Vinenahi Tara Pravartana says Chaitanya Charitam. Unless you are empowered by Krishna, you cannot share the glories of the Sankirtan movement. So, of course, nobody doubts that Prabhupada was empowered, <laughs> but the background of that empowerment was his deep vulnerability, openness, you know, sincerity in prayer. So it's important for us to 
to see the sequence, no? not only the empowering side, no? but what, what caused that empowering. So if we want to offer something empowered to that, because we also are meant to be empowered somehow by grace, not disempowered. We were talking, they say that the duty of the guru and Bhajan is to empower people, not to disempower them. But to empower something is not to flatter them. And it's also not like an injection. Okay, I'm empowering you. No. no but it's teaching them to be vulnerable. <laughs> and through that experience, and making the point through that, you get this empowerment. So I personally feel that regarding what we are celebrating today, there is so much of this. When Prabhupada touched Western soil, so much vulnerability was there, so much empowerment. Srila mm -hmm. Siddhar Maharaj, particularly, he's of the opinion that Srila Prabhupada was, because you may have heard the idea that Prabhupada is a Shakti Abhis avatar, I don't know, but that idea came originally from Srila Siddhar Maharaj. He was the one who made the observation. Srila Prabhupada is a Shakti Abhis avatar. If you do the research, that will lead you there, hopefully. <laughs> because he, he was the one who said that. And he specifically said he's Nityananda Vesh. No, like because there are different Shakti. When when he said he's a Shakti Abesh Avatar, his disciple, Bhakti Sundar Govinda Maharaj, asked him, and which type of Abesh? Empowered in from which particular side? which face of the absolute empowering. And he said, Nityananda, he's especially empowered to, to go to those sections and to deliver everything in a very indiscriminate, generous way. <laughs> no? And, and Srila Samaraj will say, and I personally feel, he will say, it's my inspiration and my, my revelation, my, my experience, that that happened officially when he was in the Jaladuta. It's not that before that nothing happened, but the very special descent came to Prabhupada and the Jaladutta when he was composing this prayer at the lotus feet of Krishna. No? Krishna Tava Punya Habe Pai, this song that he's saying, Krishna. Oh, Krishna, give me some help. Oh, my guru is an associate of Sri Radha. So if you, and he wants me to come here. So if you give me the Shakti to do this campaign, my guru will be pleased, and my guru from the campsite of Radha. So Radha will be pleased. And if Radha will be pleased, that will be good for you, Krishna. <laughs> that, was a, that was how Prabhupada prayed. That's very clever, very insightful. I mean, he has, he knows who Krishna is. He knows how to reach Krishna's heart. So he's telling, he's not manipulating. He's talking to Krishna in terms of Rasa. I mean, many will say that that will be the type of talk of a Priyanarma Saka, of an intimate friend of Krishna. So if you want to obtain Radha's favor, this is the deal. No? <laughs> no, my Gurudev is an intimate associate of her, and he asked me to come here. So if you give me the power to perform this service, he will be pleased, she will be pleased, and you will be fortunate. <laughs> and we can see which was Krishna's reply to that prayer. No, how much power he gave it to. <laughs> so if you want to get some power from Krishna, you know how to reach his heart, so to say. No. So, so that's a very interesting. So Prasila will say that Nityananda, that special descent of power to perform that service came 
very uniquely and condensed in, in that moment in the, the, the Jaladut in the midst of the ocean, probably in his room with heart attacks. We know it was not an easy journey. <laughs> and, and I'm praying and crying and emptying his heart. If you read the diary and so on, and so much came on that precise moment. So that's a little bit the backdrop to, to today's day. And of course, then Prabhupada, as we mentioned, he he landed, so to say, in another planet, <laughs> which is like, I mean, he will write some letters to some Indian sadhus saying things like, well, here in New York, uh, the lights are on all night. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, what's going on here? Yeah. No. And he will say like, almost most people have a car mm -hmm. And they drive the car themselves. <laughs> <laughs> because in India, at that time, if you had a car, you were wealthy enough and you had a chauffeur. Chauffeur? Is yeah, it chauffeur? Yeah, yeah. So if you had a car, someone else was driving it. If not, you didn't even have a car. But he was like, here they have, everyone has a car and they are driving it. So you can see how he was kind of figuring out, what's this new planet I mean? <laughs> <laughs> No, and, and try to imagine it was a culture where hippies were predominating. So it's such a contrast to come 70 years old from and even on a cultural level, it's such a different language. But but he was very willing to do so to connect with them to and to also to connect them and to as, as I was saying to empower them to be themselves, as much as of course he gave rules and he tried to establish some principles of course <laughs> but at the same time as we were saying the other day he asked okay i want all each of my disciples to be independently thoughtful maybe in the first days that's not possible again in the kindergarten days it's like do this this is good this is bad thing like that don't think apart from that there's place for that chapter <laughs> no you a stork brought to you through the chimney that's it no more questions end of the story but eventually he will say things like this now i want all of you to become independently thoughtful i have a few quotes that i put in my book he will say in all spheres of devotional service freedom is the main pivot freedom now he said without freedom there is no execution of devotional service no? so emphasizing these other things no like try to be free try to be have your own thoughts and criteria you know that's a, as we say the role of the guru is not so much to teach you what to think but how to think again they first maybe what to think this good this bad thing like this stop asking yeah. <laughs> but gradually the crafting has to go to how to think so you're already prepared to deal with reality in your own individuated way you no know? mm -hmm. uh, or things like what we read yesterday, no? Remember what we read, the Prabhupada was commenting on the Baut, and one should not deny one's emotions. No. If you are angry, he was speaking about anger, you cannot deny that. You have to address that. No? So he wanted his followers to be full human beings, not like half-baked humans and fully transcendent, but humanly dysfunctional or something like that. That doesn't compute. <laughs> So that's connected to also to a chapter that I wrote on radical personalism, on individuation. That's the chapter after vulnerability.
the importance of becoming individuals. We already are individuals, but sometimes we are not that much of a unique individual. Sometimes our individuality is quite following the masses, so to say. That's me. You tell me what to do and I do it. That's not you yet. So how much more of an individual we can become in service. So Prabhupada was encouraging that. Uh, as as a guru, as a, as a yeah, and as a guru also, I have there is one chapter about the guru and this radical personalism guru issues and tissues between guru and disciple. <laughs> it was funny because when I say tissues, I didn't realize that tissues also refer to this paper napkins. <laughs> By tissues, I refer like to layers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but I, I didn't realize that most people were thinking, which of course is also applicable. No? <laughs> And then there are issues between guru and disciple that require tissues. <laughs> but I never went there. For me, it was like tissues, like different layers of, of the issue, so to say. <laughs> it was a funny arrangement, no? Yeah. It can mean both. It's okay. <laughs> so, and, and in, my, in the chapter I wrote, I tried to address the guru-disciple relationship and try to analyze some of the of course, the beauty and the glory of the charm of that connection and the potential, but also the potential pitfalls that can happen when either both of them or one of them are not doing their proper function. It's not only about a guru doing it wrong. As a disciple, you also have your, we have our responsibility and can be failing in the equation. What to speak if both are failing in the equation? No? That's a recipe when they were to say that's a festival of misery, <laughs> no, that's not the idea. No? So, so Prabhupada was very, again, very humble. He began his own movement as a servant of, I mean, not only began, but very clearly in the beginning, he was serving his disciples, cooking for them, receiving them in a very uh, personal way, no? heart to heart way, with deep humility, <laughs> not promoting. Of course, at the same time, trying to deliver the teaching, but not promoting over-idealizing or over-glorification, because you can over-glorify the guru. In one sense, in one sense, you can never glorify enough a saintly person, but in another sense, you can over-glorify a saintly person. You follow my point? Like, if you say, like, I don't know, my guru is so incredible that, I don't know, He's omniscient and knows everything about all and every moment. It's like that's too much. That's not that's not accurate. That's that's not in Shastra. And I addressed that in my chapter. Guru is not omniscient. It's omniscient in the sense that he or she, just in case, <laughs> uh, if, if the person is advanced enough and has connection with Krishna, that person will receive whatever Krishna wants that guru to be aware of. <laughs> That sense is there is like uninterrupted wire connection, life. No, there's no interruption. So in that sense, there is omniscience. Krishna may reveal, but it's not that the person is aware of whatever is going on. If you ask him, what's going on in the mind of my grandmother at this moment in Lithuania? It's not that he has to know. That's over glorification. That's not tasteful, so to say. Prabhupada himself said, and I quote that in my book, he says, if, if one is, that's an interesting quote, if one is overestimated, 
glorification is just another form of blasphemy. No, I repeat it just in case. If one is overestimated, glorification in that context of overestimation is another form of blasphemy. It's no better than blasphemy, basically. You know, proper glorification can never come from a place of over-idealizing, overestimating. Can I ask a question or not? You're in a flow. I'm in a flow, but you are in the flow as well. We are <laughs> only in the current swimming together, so yeah. So I might not get this quote completely right. Something along the line of a pure devotee has all the qualities of the demigods, and the demigods have basically a lot of mystic cities and a lot of mystical abilities. So therefore, the pure devotee has these mystical abilities. So they can become smaller than the smallest, greater than the great, you know, uh -huh. expand themselves and, mm -hmm. and various other. You know, I've heard this said. So, so? is that true? <laughs> <laughs> is that applicable? Applicable to? To a pure, I mean, it says, okay. it's, mm -hmm. but yeah. how does it work? Uh -huh. Realistically, how does that work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. There are a few things to say about that. Thanks for the question. And of course, I, uh, that's my take on it. Some people may have differences of opinion. There are a few things we can say. First of all, I like always to <laughs> do it. When, when we use the term pure devotee, uh, somehow that's abstract. Or I, I ask devotees, what do you mean by that? What's a pure devotee? What, I mean... It's someone who attained the stage of prem, someone who attained. What's a pure devotee? I mean, I'm not against the word pure devotee. I'm not saying there are no pure. I'm not saying nothing like that. I'm just saying that sometimes we use the term. I'm not saying you are doing mm -hmm. that. I'm just that you say the word and it yeah, came yeah, to him. Yeah. <laughs> so that we may employ some words loosely, like pure devotee, and and sometimes we we may even point on label some of people as pure devotee. And it's kind of officially accepted. As I, we were talking these days, even if you were Brahmachari for 10 years, uh, he's not, he's advanced, but he's not pure devotee, of course. Mm. Then you became sannyasi, he's pure devotee, of course, mm. because he's Maharaj. I was like, by last weekend, no, he attained, <laughs> he attained pure devotion during the, the fire sacrifice or something. <laughs> and the point, what would, what do we understand by, by pure devotion? No, like, total enlightenment, attainment of divine love, or beyond certain stage of considerable anartha. So there, are, there are different ways that different people may take on that. So just turning a little bit more in that direction just to, to, to uh, for us to be aware of the words we use and, and what do they mean for us at least. Uh, and, and of course also something that, <clears throat> okay, this may go too much on, on another direction, but Sometimes you have this idea also that I've heard. I was talking recently to someone in in France, and we were talking, and she was like, "Well, yeah, of course, because as you know, Maharaj, all the, all the gurus are nitesidas, which means eternal associates of Krishna." So, and I was like, "Stop there, the question. Where <laughs> uh, where where that's being said in the scriptures?" Because we have to be accustomed to also sustain what we say with Shastra. You know? Because sometimes, oh, I was told that. Okay, I believe you, but, 
where does this coming from? There is nowhere in Shastra that says every single guru has to be, because again, before being a guru, he or she was such and such, and now it became an eternal associate of Krishna. And what to do if that if eventually some of the gurus do not behave so nice? <laughs> well, you always say it's a lila, or you will say, oh, we whatever. No. So, and the point is, how can you know if someone is an eternal associate of Krishna? Do you have a, like a Nitya Siddha uh, barometer or something? <laughs> There's no way to know that. And my point is, my point is, even if someone is in need to see the eternally perfected soul, and someone is a perfected soul who was not an eternally perfected soul, what's the difference? Why we are creating this hierarchy in our mind? No, no, the guru must be coming from Golobrin down directly, because if he's perfect but not coming from there, there's that's inferior and that's a problem. And we are creating all that type of duality and hierarchy. In fact, someone once asked Hila Prabhupada that who is higher, Nitya Siddha or Sadhana Siddha? Eternally perfected or he who attained perfection through practice? He said the important word there is Siddha. That was his reply. Siddha means perfect. As long as that's there, and, and, and on top of that, and I'm going to do a question, he probably himself will say, the guru can even be not necessarily a Siddha. In some cases, the guru can be an advanced Madhyam devotee. And if you want even more shock, you can go to Prabhupada's purport to Padashambhita, I think, verse 5. Mm -hmm. He will say even a Kanishta Dikari can be a guru, mm -hmm. which I don't know how to accommodate that, to be honest. <laughs> An advanced Kanishta Dikari, because if not, I mean, it's a little dangerous to just mm -hmm. put a Kanishta Dikari as a guru, but there are levels of being a Kanishta. So I'm taking that stat. So my point is, he himself is saying that let's, let's how to say, let's also humanize and be more realistic about the position of the guru and not necessarily make everyone being a guru coming from Golok Vrindavan, because that may not be the case and we don't. The real question is, why do I need to, to make that in that way? <laughs> why my faith probably needs to put everyone on that pedestal? Because probably if someone doesn't come from the highest possible realm, I'm not willing to offer unconditional love, unconditional service. I, I can only offer full service if you are completely perfect forever. That's not so loving. <laughs> No, because the goal of life is to offer unconditional love. Conditional means despite certain things. And Krishna is already loving us unconditionally. So we should learn the unconditional love lesson and try to reciprocate accordingly instead of, you have to be fully perfect for me to do something about you. That's too forced, too superficial. And if you make some mistake, oh, everything collapses. No, that was a... He was a cheater, everything was fake, and not necessarily, you know, just how life operates. <laughs> so, sorry, that's introduction to your question. <laughs> and you have another question, and you're starting to get in to know me. <laughs> no, I just think on the same, mm -hmm. same thing. I mean, I think to me, it seems like it is about learning, and it's learning through the lines of, of like absolute love and it's about surrender so it seems to me i don't know if i picked it up right but 
through Prabhupada's purpose. What he's saying is the Nichasita devotees are there and occasionally they're on this planet. Mm -hmm. But it not to, but like you say, like um, the guru can be even Kanishta Adhikari can mm -hmm. be a guru because mm -hmm. there's so many levels of gurus. Mm -hmm. But it, it's like a big it's a spiritual family. It's like we're here taking our first steps, many of us. But the Nietzsche Siddha devotees are there. Mm -hmm. So when we're ready, they're there, like to to help us, to lift us mm -hmm. further. Yeah. So I was I kind of caught this when I came in to to all of this. I was hearing that idea that you know the the gurus are all nature siddhas and someone else is in the Julian and everything. You heard that one also, okay. It didn't seem real to me. And I mm. I'm, I'm more I heard proper, I think. I think one time someone asked Sheila Prabhupada about um or you know who who's the pure devotee and where are they and Prabhupada says something like there are always one or two pure devotees on the planet mm. somewhere. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. But but it's like it seems to me like it's it's like an ongoing we're 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 growing yeah. you know, and learning. Nietzsche said it's maybe not choose to, to come here but it's not if we make ourselves Nietzsche said us, then we're just fooling ourselves. Yeah, because you cannot make yourself a Nietzsche. The Nietzsche is already made. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. That reminds me of another thing the proper one said that someone asked him, why did the devotees fall down? He said, the devotees do not fall down. He said, Narner, Praladner fall. He started to give devotee. Yeah. Not to, to, to you for you to feel, oh, I'm not the devotee, but to just also to give a, do not take the terms cheaply yeah. no for granted i'm already that yeah. yes but it's as to say it's an ongoing progression there are levels and degrees and also some one more thing for going to the question that if we make all as we mentioned these days also all gurus need to see that or even all gurus and sannyasis and brahmachari whom you choose who you want to put them in that category that's a problem in the sense that in one sense there is not too much hope <laughs> in the sense of only those who made it are all need to see this. You don't have any example of someone who started from where you started and made it. So that doesn't speak so nicely about bhakti. <laughs> it's basically indirectly showing bhakti is not working because you cannot find anyone who attained that pr practice starting from where you are. All of them have to come from Golok. Indirectly, you are basically offending bhakti. <laughs> <laughs> Although externally it sounds like you are super praising guru, it's not like that. And another problem will be <laughs> that if all gurus are need to see, need to see that means you have never had any contact with the experience of material suffering, illusion. So those people cannot fully empathize with your situation because they have never experienced that. They don't know what's that about. And I don't think how much you want a guide that has no clue about what you are going through, how much you can be guided. Of course, Krishna can make some inspiration and even a need to see that can empathize on some level. In my first book, I speak about two levels of empathy. I think it's cognitive empathy and affectionate, whatever the term. In psychology, they use this term, which is, for example, I don't know, I may be talking to someone who was... Um, 
abused as a child. So I, I, have, I have not been abused as a child. So I can't empathize from my own experience, which is a deeper level of empathy, but I can empathize in the sense of I can understand as much as I try the complexity of that. And I can empathize on a more cognitive level. Mm -hmm. I can understand how painful, traumatic that is, but I have no experience of that. So I'm devoid of other form of empathy. So I'm saying this because I need to see that I can have a this cognitive empathy, and, and, and I'm not saying that's that's bad or that's not good enough, but I'm saying again, we, we will all it will be also nice to have people who is who not only showed us the journey and a reference for us, okay, they began where I began and now they became who they became, and therefore they can understand fully what I'm going through. That's inspiring. That's not the problem. Oh, you are not the need to see that. Oh, so sorry. You are not that high. No, I was like, it's my good fortune that you really feel in your flesh what I'm going through now and you can emphasize. No? So some thoughts in that connection and relation to the question, the pure devotee has all the qualities of the demigods, how true that is, how that plays out. <laughs> I could say uh, those two things come to mind. One will be, uh, that's a more general way of saying, like implying the demigods are famous for having good qualities. Of course, the demigods have their own not so good qualities also. Just pay, pay a look at the Bhagavatam and some of Indra's mischief and so on. And he's a top demigod. But for me, it's like a way of saying, okay, these are the most refined the demigods, let's say, like the highest possible material position, if you want to put it like that. And a devotee is above that, like implying devotees. And again, when I say the devotee, what we, what do we mean by the, the devotee? The, the qualities that person have are of a different nature, are of another depth. But not necessarily it means that you have exactly everything that they have in the same way. I will say that's one option. Another option will be, if you want to take it literally, all the qualities that the demigods have, and you gave the examples of the yogic siddhis, a devotee must have them because the devotee is the highest above all others or whatever everyone else has, they have them plus something else. Okay, I have no problem with that literal reading. It's not so much my own cup of tea, but <laughs> uh, in that case, we'll say, but the devotee doesn't care for that. And this is the famous example of, <laughs> Prabhupada gave that example once, you may know the situation. He was sitting on the Vyasa and I'm mentioning that. He said, like, well, I could just just start flying over from with the Vyasa from my, from the, through the window now. And he, to the, the disciples, and they were like, and he said like, but I, for what? No. I prefer to stay here with you and continue discussing Bhagavata. Yeah. But most of the disciples were, I want to see you fly, no? <laughs> fly, fly. <laughs> no? Still, we want a little bit of performance in the show. No? And he wanted to make that point. No? I could be floating and flying and disappearing and doing all this like magic, but that's not the, the most important thing. And also to test the rest, to see what happens in me. Do I more attractive for the magic show 
or I'm more attractive for the substantial, the real thing. So, so anyhow, so I was talking a little bit about how Prabhupada was as a as a guru in coming here and dealing with his disciples. Also, not only again acting as in a very as a servant of them, but with such an humility and such a commitment in taking responsibility for the relationship, as much as his part was concerned. Of course, it's not that you take more responsibility than you can. And, and let me show one short quote that he mentions in that I quote here is very touching, at least for me. This um, uh, this is a letter he wrote to one disciple of his called Umapati. He said, Prabhupada said, any good soul who approaches me once for spiritual enlightenment is supposed to be depending on my responsibility to get him back to Krishna. A bona fide spiritual master never lets go of a devotee once accepted. When a disciple misunderstands a bona fide spiritual master, the master regrets for his inability to protect the disciple, and sometimes he cries with tears in the eyes. Hmm? So that's the mercy of Sri Guru. Bonafide Guru, his mercy is irreversible. I call it here irreversible grace. <laughs> well, so so that's, that was Prabhupada's spirit. No? Sure. And we know that some devotees approached him and then took a distance from him, and it's not a they're Maya, they're offensive, or they are the wrong ones. I did my part, and no, but genuine lamentation from the heart. So, 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 so important, yeah. And yeah, something unique also will say about Prabhupada is that, in one sense, there are many Prabhupads in the sense of each devotee will will experience a different side of him. No, it's not that there's only one official version. <laughs> no, it's like saying Krishna is only can be only experienced in one way. That's not true. <laughs> no, multifaceted jewel. So it's so so unique to to get to know, you know someone like Prabhupada and be open to continue rediscovering. If you actually love a person, as I mentioned at the end of my book, you will be willing to know all the different perspectives about the person. No? No. Like, if I, I, I love Sam, I will know, I have my experience of Sam, but also I will be, if I really love him, I will be interested in hearing his sibling experience of him, his parents, his neighbors, his co-workers, so to say. All of them will give some, shed some mm. unique light that won't me think I will change my relationship with him, but will nourish my appreciation. To follow my point, no? So in the same way you can appreciate Prabhupada from your, or anyone, of course, but in this case we're talking about him, you can love and approach him from your, so to say, favorite perspective, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that there are so many other unique uh, approaches that can nourish that. Hmm? And of course, in my personal case, on a personal level, we we're talking today with Jamuna about that. I, I, I feel personal, personally very fortunate 
to be have having been introduced from day one of my devotional life, not only to Srila Prabhupada, but to Srila Siddhar Maharaj as well. And for me, that gave me a very unique picture of Srila Prabhupada. I'm not saying it's better, it's just unique, as every picture will be unique, <laughs> but unique with that particular spice in the masala, so to say, which is someone who was so close to Prabhupada, like Srila Siddhar Maharaj, that Prabhupada himself considered him his Siksha Guru. So that's not a slight statement. And <laughs> uh, um, who for me helped me to 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 rediscover Prabhupada in so many ways, no, and, and that's so beautiful how how it works, no, how how a real sadhu will just share further light on another sadhu. If, if if the sadhu is real, they will never be obstructing the light from the other sadhu. By by nature, one sadhu will shed light on any other other genuine sadhu. That's how it it has to happen. It's not about like obstructing, it's just about further illumination because there's no competition. No? Parampara is not a competition about, <laughs> about anything. No? I mean, there may be some divine competition in the Leela in service, but not the competition in terms of come with you are my disciple. And of course, that, I'm not saying that's in, I understand that there were things said and differences of opinion. And sometimes the guru will say, Prabhupada himself, some things to, secure the faith of disciples in certain stage. Um, but it's important to accommodate, like like we're talking to, the, okay, Prabhupada says some strong things about some of his God brothers. Yes. But put the other side of the scale, Prabhupada say a lot of beautiful things about his God brothers. <laughs> and sometimes before or after having said the other things. <laughs> so, and it's important we put all those things in the scale. No? Like once one devotee told me, he he's a guru and said, I, I, I fight with my god brothers. But we, because we, I mean, we are brothers. Brothers fight with one another. It doesn't mean I stop loving them. So be careful as a disciple when you see your father fighting with his brother to think, oh, the other one is a demon, it's an offense, we have to. No, they are fighting. We may not be able to enter into that <laughs> arena, but we should not lose sight of the fact that they love each other in so many ways and they have so much in common. No? So all the things should be should be in place to understand also Prabhupada. As a guru, Prabhupada as a god brother, Prabhupada as a disciple, all these different nuances of that person we love, so to say. If we love someone, we want to love every aspect and we will to we want to properly understand every aspect of him. No? Uh, so I appreciate that. And I appreciate, of course, as you may know, that also Prabhupada connected, invited his disciples to connect to Srila Siddhar Maharaj. And, and he knew that Srila Siddhar Maharaj was different. I mean, they lived together in Kolkata for four years together. So they knew each other, but they and he knew Silasimas is different. But of course, that's the whole thing about it. No? The idea is that you are different. No? It doesn't make too much sense that okay, I send you to that person who will exactly say the same thing I'm telling you. For that, I remain stay here. No, because I once heard some dude say, "I went to Silasimas Maharaj, but 
the Prabhupada disciple. I went to Srila Siddharmaj, but he said things differently from Prabhupada. So I stopped going. I was like, I mean, that's the very reason why he sent you there, not to hear the exact same thing, <laughs> to expose you to some differences and not substantial, but just style of presentation, different language, different. I mean, he's a unique individual, like Prabhupada was another unique. <laughs> but that's a healthy exposure. No, like I, I was talking with that to the to the devotees in Switzerland these days because I was like appreciating how the Krishna Chandra, who is the local leader there in the community, and we know each other on some level, and he knows I'm different from him. I mean, we are very similar and agree so much on on the substance but we are still different of course fortunately we are not the same that sounds more like merging into something personal and i appreciated that despite his educating and guiding the devotees in the community he's bringing people who whom he knows will say some things on some level not extreme but slightly different and that will force his students to to accommodate, no, to harmonize some diversity, to to enrich their vision and their nuance, and to understand not things has to be always in the same way. They can be disagreements, and we can love each other with disagreements. That's challenging. Sometimes it's just I only love you if we agree on everything, but that's a, that won't work for long. <laughs> Try to tell that to your husband, to your kids. I only love you if we agree on everything. Br break the contract right now. Real love is including the, the, the differences. That's the nuance of love. So that's the challenge. I have disagreements and I love you on top of that. <laughs> so, 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 so I think that's an important aspect of the culture that somehow Prabhupada was establishing also while coming eventually to the West and opening gradually the doors to other moods, so to say, or, or diversity. Mm -hmm. And with this, of course, I'm not saying everyone should go to Sulasidhar Maharaj and whomever didn't go, it's an offense. I, I'm not going to that extreme either, but just making this point that is, uh, I think is very healthy in one form or another. A few more words. We have a few minutes. Sorry if I'm getting just a few minutes and I conclude. Some other point that I mentioned in my book that I want to share. There's a whole chapter that I dedicate to. I call it divine ignorance in terms of being willing to coexist with what we don't know. And Prabhupada was very much embracing the unknown, as we mentioned in his coming to the West. He's like, again, entering spaceship into unknown land. What will on the other side? What Krishna wants from me, will this work or not? Because as you know, it's not that he arrived a day like today and next day he had Sunday feast with 108 devotees. Mm -hmm. That was almost a whole year with not too much happening, apparently, of course. All was part of the process. But still he he was Abhai. That's one of that's his name. Abhai. Abhai means fearless. Uh, interestingly, fearless in terms of visiting another planet <laughs> like USA, <laughs> fearless in terms of, again, being by himself, so to say, but trusting so deeply. Well, like he, he writes in this song, Mark in the Bhagavad Dharma, he said to Krishna, I don't know why you brought me here. 
She says that. He doesn't say, I have perfectly clear what you brought me here. He said, I don't know why you brought me here, but you brought me here. That I know. <laughs> and I have full... And he, then he says, but I know that your costless mercy can make everything possible. So that's, that's again, the combination. I don't have a clue why, I, why you brought me here, but I'm completely certain that your costless mercy can make everything. That's a very good combination because you remain very humbled. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what has to happen, but I'm fully sure that you will protect me. These important aspects of Sharanagati. Trusting that Krishna will protect me. We have to we have to walk that talk on a daily basis. How much do we trust God is protecting me? Not only he will, he is, and he will. <laughs> and he's maintaining me in so many ways. No? So yeah, Prabhupada exhibited this abhai, abhayatva, fearlessness. In fact, in the scripture, fearlessness is described as the main quality for a sannyasi, which means fearlessness, means just go wherever you have to go, and also fearlessness in terms of dealing with whatever the unknown inside, <laughs> not so, not just taking a plane to an unknown country, but exploring the unknown inner topography, geography as well. No? So, and Prabhupada showed all that. He, he, he honored his name, so to say. His name was not just casual coincidence. Oh, bye, nice, sounds nice. No, no, he's really like, okay, I have to embody this name. I have to honor that fully. <laughs> so that's also something that makes me think he's a radical personalist because radical personalism has so much to do with Coexisting with uncertainty and being okay with that, with full trust. And also in my book, I talk about prayer um, and the importance of prayer, fervent, giving ourselves in prayer. And again, Prabhupada, a day like today, a few days before, like today, he's mm, traveling throughout the ocean, so much fervent prayer. He was just like pouring his heart out intensely. Again, he was giving himself intensely. Hmm? And, and like this famous uh, prayer at the lotus feet of Krishna. Interestingly, the first part of that prayer is about, as we mentioned, Krishna give me the Shakti to perform this function. Where they will be pleased, rather will be pleased. You will be successful. But praying, praying very deeply. And eventually in the last verses, he's shifting his the mood of his prayer to and when this service is concluded, I deeply long, long to be with you playing and frolicking. So his prayer goes from his service as a sadhak on earth to his internal, eternal aspiration to relate to Krishna in the Lila. But it's still very deep prayer. So even whether it's in one direction or another, Rupa Goswami will say, Sampratanatmika and Lala Samai. So some pratanatmika is more prayers of humility and surrender. And Lalasamaya are prayers of longing for eternal service in the Lila. Mm -hmm. So there are degrees of prayers also. Of course, we cannot imitate the, those, but, but Prabhupada in, in, in this prayer at the Lord of Feet of Krishna is showing all this nicely. How if you do nicely 
your prayer as a sadaka with humility and surrender, naturally that will take you to you find yourself doing another type of prayer altogether, no? With with another type of identification of service necessity. Interestingly, as we were talking these days in Switzerland, it may begin. I am identifying with the service necessity that my guru requested here to share the message to serve devotees. People, that's great, beautiful, but eventually may take you to realize there is so much service necessity in Golok. <laughs> Rather than Krishna has so much need of meeting each other and of supporting the lila, and all of us will be required there. <laughs> Strictly speaking, there's more, much more necessity there, technically speaking, because there, the more the love, the greatest the necessity. That's how love operates. The more you love, that's was our one of our main theme themes throughout the classes in, in Switzerland. The more you love, and I hope you understand this properly. If not, we'll explain. The more you love, everything the more in, intensifies. The more, the more you love, the more you will suffer but not suffer like we know it without love. <laughs> Just for you not to be like, okay, I'm changing my sampradaya here. <laughs> because when I say suffer, you will go to our experience of suffering without love. But with love, everything is becomes completely different. Even suffering is deep and sweet <laughs> and expanding. So the more you love, the more... The suffering, the more you love, the more the compassion, the more the love, the more the necessity for more love. Radha and Krishna are about to die from each other in separation. Being from they are always on the verge of death. That's one of the ten symptoms of separation. The last one is mriti, which means death. Of course, they never die, <laughs> but they're always like feeling, I'm just about to. So there's needs so much help support arrangements for the reunion to take place. There's so much necessity happening going on there. That's an important point that we should understand. No? The God we worship, <laughs> in one sense, Krishna is Atmaram. He's self-satisfied. But on the other side, Bhaktivinoda he's Pararam. He's divinely dissatisfied because he loves, and loves fulfills everything but creates its own necessity. When I love, the necessity is I can love more and I want to love more. And there's no limit to how much more I can love. So <laughs> it's paradoxical. Anyhow, that's another topic. I'm getting lost and found there. <laughs> but I was making the point that Prabhupada, speaking about prayer, how Prabhupada uh, identified himself with all these different service necessities. What his master requested here as a, as a guru, as a preacher, and eventually that took the of service in the lila. there, yeah. And one probably last point that I would like to make in relation to why, how Prabhupada conducted his campaign and what he brought to him here is, of course, he was very practical. He has very a great depth of vision and even when dealing with so-called ordinary situations he always saw everything as how to say in the words of Bhaktisiddhanta will say everything is potential paraphernalia to offer in service nothing is nothing is how to say in English disposable 
-hmm. like rejectable, uh -huh. no? Yeah, let me share one brief quote from him. Just a minute. He's saying like this. This coming from one purpose, I think. He says, that, that is very interesting. Prabhupada is saying, I'm sharing today most, almost most of the quotes that I share in this book from Prabhupada. This is his purport to Bhagavatam 1533. He says, the material conception of a thing is at once changed as soon as it is put into the service of the Lord. That is the secret of spiritual success. We should not try to lord it, lord it over the material nature, nor should we reject material things. <laughs> so there's nothing to reject. <laughs> Everything is an emanation from the Supreme Spirit. And by his inconceivable power, he converts spirit into matter and matter into spirit. Therefore, a material thing, so-called, Prabhupada says, <laughs> is at once turned into a spiritual force by the great will of the Lord. The necessary condition for such a change is to employ so-called matter in the service of the spirit. This is very, very interesting, very beautiful. How Prabhupada says, there's nothing to reject. I remember when I I was with, I met Radhanath Swami in Alachua. That was like two months ago. And he was kind enough to share with me, like, I mean, we, we talked like for four hours or something. At one point he told me, we were sharing some of these topics and he will say, one story with Prabhupada, one devotee came to Prabhupada and told him, Prabhupada, for you, I'm ready to reject everything. <laughs> and Prabhupada said, the only thing you need to reject is the idea that you have to reject anything. Not even everything, anything, he said. That's the only thing. We have to reject something. Only one thing. The idea that we need, we have to reject anything. <laughs> That's the only rejectable thing. Everything else is to be accepted in service and engaged in service. That's very practical and very mystical because you are in the midst of the world of matter, but you are seeing everything as something that can be offered spiritually. So that's that's basically also the last chapter of my book where I talk about how we have to redeem our connection with the material world because sometimes we have developed some some form of like this world is bad, it's profane, we have to leave it as soon as possible and our whole spiritual project becomes kind of an evacuation plan or something like that. No, let's get out of here as quick as we can. <laughs> uh, but Prabhupada is not, not promoting this. No, basically, it's inviting us to, to become aware that you can become Krishna conscious anywhere. No, the movement is about Krishna consciousness, attaining a certain type of consciousness, whatever you are. It's not about changing geographically, but changing your inner consciousness. So let me conclude with one quote. This is not from Prabhupada. This is something I wrote at the, at the end of, of this chapter. Uh, where is starting? Hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Oh, yeah, okay. The material world, continuing with this idea, and with this we conclude, give me a few minutes, please. 
material world is nothing but how we choose to perceive reality on which spectacles we choose to wear or which spectacles we choose to wear and not so much where we are geographically no? like you can be geographically in london but internally in golok <laughs> or you can take a trip to bring down by plane but your consciousness is in i don't know anywhere else <laughs> in a similar fashion when bhaktisiddhanta saraswati was asked why he went to calcutta when his guru told him to never go there, he replied that he never went to Calcutta, but always remained at the lotus feet of his spiritual master. So Calcutta is a state of consciousness, basically. Calcutta yeah. was a state of consciousness for him, as is every other place. Likewise, and I would like to conclude with this example of Prabhupada, which is connected to today's celebration. Likewise, when Srila Prabhupada made plans to leave Vrindavan to go to the Western world, some local Hindus then asked him why on earth he will ever leave the sacred land of Raj. Their question clearly showed their own lack of education. They didn't realize that someone like Srila Prabhupada was not replacing Raj with the West, but extending the very presence of Raj all shores of the planet. No? So that's what we are celebrating today. Now, the day he came here doesn't mean that he left there, but he came to bring the there over here, <laughs> so to say. And that's why we are celebrating today such an occasion. The occasion is just, just not just a mere trip, a curiosity. Oh, he came to explore unknown lands, but we are celebrating the fact that Brindavan is being extended and poured, so to say, all over the planet. So, so anyhow, some words on, on this occasion in connection to how Prabhupada is a radical personalist. <laughs> and, and as we mentioned before, no, hopefully we can celebrate this. We can say ki jai, no problem. Shila Prabhupada ki jai. <laughs> but as we mentioned, also trying to go to the hopefully deepest form of celebration by asking ourselves okay what what he did this he offered that to us what can i offer how can i offer not so much what can i offer but how i am the offering i am the offering how can i offer how can i be the offering in which way that can be tasteful and unique and pleasing to Prabhupada, to our parampara to krishna and, and, and as we mentioned yesterday for that, we need to give ourselves permission to have a voice, to speak, to think, to feel, to off offer all our faculties, our individuality for the pleasure of Srila Prabhupada and So that's basically radical personalism, to embrace all those faculties and functions and ask, how can I make this an offer? <laughs> Try to spend my days as much as I can in working on that project, so to say. No? <laughs> so, a few words, sorry. There were not a few, well, even more than a few, but a few words in connection to today's celebration and trying to shed light altogether about further light about the personality of Prabhupada, which you can never further shed light enough. There's always new lights and shades and... No? perspectives that oh, hopefully can add to our love for him and for for us as an extension of 
as a consequence of his of his mercy, so to say, <laughs> and, a, and a healthy way to express our indebtedness in service. So, I don't know if before concluding there is something else you may like to share, ask. Yes, yes, of course. So, lots of different things that you mentioned tonight also relate to a question that I've had in mind for some time anyway. Although, mm -hmm. before I say it, I do feel it's partly being answered by the class, but there's still a bit of it there. So, so when you spoke about before Krishna's mercy can come in, we have to empty out. Mm. So the first thing that comes to mind when you say that is it's like an internal surrendering. And so my question to be specific is that when I'm chanting Japa, quite often, especially these days, the prayerfulness that can come sometimes is this feeling that I should be just like trying to internally surrender to whatever Krishna wants mm -hmm. of me. Mm -hmm. But there's fear there, which relates mm. to the other part of what mm. you were speaking about. And the fear is that Krishna may arrange the circumstances of my life in a way that I don't feel ready for. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that fear comes from things I've already experienced in this life. And at the moment, there's a bit of respite from that. <laughs> and it's a massive relief. And I don't want to go back into what I've previously mm -hmm. experienced, especially in Krishna consciousness and materially. Yeah. So I feel that that fear is an obstacle. Because when I start to, on occasion, get that prayerful mood of, oh, I really want to surrender, immediately this voice comes and says, but... I don't want you to take this away and I don't want to go back into that kind of condition. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do about that. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> you, you are not alone, naturally. <laughs> oh, first of all, thanks for the for the honesty, for the sincerity of emptying yourself out by presenting the question itself. And of course, that's kind of the to say the, the living paradox that we we may go through and that we may be <laughs> on certain considerable part of our journey uh, and i wouldn't i'm saying that's that to somehow validate the experience in the sense of we may because we can also torture ourselves by i'm not surrendering clearly still have i fear in krishna that shows that I have no love for him. And we can just like bring like 108 whips of different styles. And and I will say that it's important to also be more, a little bit compassionate with ourselves in the sense of we are on this journey. We are trying to give ourselves, we are trying to, and Krishna knows he's in the heart. I mean, we don't need to convince him about anything. He knows what's going on. <laughs> And he's understandable also. He's understanding, sorry. He he I'm not saying that also to, to be how to say compliant and mediocre. That's the yeah. thing. The challenge is to remain in the middle path, not the whip extreme, but not to the extreme of ah oh, Krishna's merciful and understanding and the process is gradual, so gradual, so no need to rush. Yes, but not that much of that either. No, the process is gradual, but as gradual as you want to make it. No, <laughs> sometimes you need also to to push a little, to have some initiative. No, so so that's a yeah. I've heard many times also devotees 
sharing that testimony. <laughs> so I want to surrender, but, and then it seems that the last, the other part of the sentence is, I want to surrender, but I don't want to surrender. Yeah. <laughs> but then you come, but I want to surrender, but I don't want to surrender. But I want to surrender. We feel like I'm a mess. No, what's going on? But I think, again, sorry to insist on that, but it's important that we don't feel that that shows that everything is a fake, this is not working, because we may we can go to very heavy places on ourselves and really conclude, I've seen the words concluding, I'm in that direction, this is not for me. And they leave all together, the whole thing, because they cannot like be compassionate with themselves, understanding I'm on the journey, I'm practicing, I'm trying hopefully my best, but I also I'm realistic enough to know that surrender is not one act performance. Because that was, we were talking today about that. Like sometimes we may think, or I've seen the words think like a hey, surrender. You know? Like if it's like surrender, like bring me a glass of water, something like that. No, like surrender, press S button. That's it, surrender. What what do you mean by that? No, do you think that that's just like one thing that black and white yesterday you were non-surrendered and now you are surrendered no like oh yeah last weekend you were a karmi and now you are a devotee or again you were brahmachari you were nice now you're maharaj you are pure devotee all this type of automatic transformations that's not realistic says <laughs> At the moment of Diksha, <laughs> when the disciple makes of oneself a full offering to Krishna, and then comes the second line, but I put pause there, because it defines the moment of Diksha and that moment where you are offering all your functions completely. And then you will start to doubt, did I receive Diksha then? In the sense that, did I already offer all those things? Or maybe Diksha is to be conceived as a process. Instead of, I received Diksha that day. I have it. What's next now? <laughs> no. Initiation is a process. Initiation is not just, of course, you receive the mantra one day and you are not receiving it every single day again. But what you receive that day unfolds a whole process. Initiation is a process. The, the word says it all. Initiation. You're initiating something. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes it's in the world of thinking, now I'm initiated. Like <laughs> conclusive. But the, the name of the process is not conclusion. It's initiation. <laughs> <laughs> so if it's initiation, you have to be open that we are just starting something that will unfold. I will never conclude. <laughs> because it's eternal. <laughs> So, so I, in one sense, I have no answer for you, Korneshwari, as you may, and no answer in the sense of there is no magical way to. I mean, I trust your sincerity in that paradoxical situation, and and it's a matter of time that gradually, how to say, as you mentioned, one learns to trust Krishna more, in the sense as you mentioned, well, but I am afraid that he may make some arrangements in my life that may be too much for me. And of course, what I can 
the unsolicited or solicited advice in this mm -hmm. case that I may offer is we have to maybe remind ourselves more strongly and deeply that, I mean, Krishna knows better than anyone else what's the best thing I need. He knows that better than me. Sometimes I don't have a clear idea of what's in my best interest. And sometimes I'm my worst enemy. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I have to trust that. I have to trust, I have to, oh, one, all the necessary times I need, I have to remind me, Krishna is a God of mercy, a God of love, a God of generosity. He's completely empathic with my journey. He knows my heart better than anyone else. So I mean, he cannot, he won't send me a test that I cannot pass. If I do not pass the test, it's because I, f I didn't do my best. It's not that because he sends something, no, it's too much. That's not possible. I mean, he knows, he knows what to send. Mm -hmm. But also we should know what to ask. Again, also don't, do not ask for more than what you can bear. No, because in that case, Krishna may make some arrangement for me to realize that was too much yeah. also. Oh. To give you an example, an embarrassing one from my own unauthorized biography. <laughs> that was, I think, was, yeah, the first time I went to the temple. I was leaving the temple. It was my first Jan Krishna Janmashtami. So everything was new for me. First Janmashtami. Everyone is telling you what's all about. And they will tell me, okay, we we're fasting till midnight today. So, and all these other technicalities, which are not the essence of the festival. <laughs> Anyhow, at that time, that was the most important thing, not to not eat anything till midnight. Anyhow, but <laughs> one devotee told me, also, the, that was good. He told me, uh, it's a good day to make some commitment to pray, to make, make maybe you can pray to Krishna to commit yourself to, to, to some vow or something. I appreciated that. But, of course, it was, it was my first gemastomy. I was naive. I was, like, romantic in that sense. So I, I committed myself to something Goswami standard. <laughs> now, with good intention, but without the maturity to realize that's not sustainable. So, which was my commitment. So I went in front of Mahaprabhu. And of course, again, at that time, it was more about not doing some things. <laughs> so I prayed to Mahaprabhu and said, from now on, I will never, I will never, <laughs> that's already, it's like, <laughs> watch out for those words, always and never. Mm. I hear once this quote, the always and the nevers all only belong to the Supreme. He can only say always and never. Better you don't you eradicate those from your vocabulary. <laughs> you never know. Anyhow, I didn't know that that at that time. So I was Krishna. From now on, I will never eat more than necessary. I mean that's high standard. <clears throat> and my bow lasted for a few hours till midnight <laughs> came, and one hundred and eight preparations were in the table. <laughs> And I was totally immersed into the Prashadam feast without even remembering the bow I made. You can, and after a few hours, I was like, but I committed myself to, oh my. But fortunately, it was a nice like epiphany because I realized that was too much. I was not proper. It was with good intention, naive, 
but it was not realistic. Mm-hmm. And the result came, <laughs> not the Krishna chastising me, just like <laughs> the consequence of the whole thing yeah. for me to make me be a little bit more realistic. <laughs> so sometimes that that's a little bit in connection. No? We, yeah. we, we want to surrender to Krishna, but also, yeah, we don't want to do it in a forced way. We know it may take time. We want to be realistic. We don't want to cheat ourselves. So I think from that place where we can ascertain how to say where we are, where we want to be, and the possible still abyss that may be in between, <laughs> we we have to have I, I think that's the main part in prayer. Uh, not so much to trust like like will Krishna know how to reply or not? I mean we have to have trust he's no he's doing his business already. No, he knows how to reciprocate, how to, he knows what we but how much are we clear about where we are, where he is, what do we need? I think that's the main work for us in prayer. Like to be honest about again, not praying for something that is like too much for today, <laughs> but also not too little for today. No, not to go to one extreme or the other, because both are I mean, if you are ready for next stage. And you are not willing to go there, that's not healthy. And if you are not ready for next stage and you are rushing to that, that's not healthy. We call that sahaja. Sahaja means you are rushing into something too high. Well, I will say another variety of sahaja is you are ready for something higher and you are not going there. You are resisting. So as long we we have to make sure I'm not doing any of those two things. I have to be I'm trying to be as honest as realistic as and from that place, I pray. no And from that place, I trust <laughs> Krishna knows. I mean and Krishna is appreciating my honesty. that's I don't have to it's not my job to figure out what he will do if he will be accurate or not. My job is first to ascertain where I am. And from which place to pray in a way that is realistic, honest. That takes time. That's not a joke. It's not that in, in ten seconds I, I got it. <laughs> it requires it, it requires prayer in itself. <laughs> yes. No prayer is not necessarily about requesting something, but prayer is many times it's just a journey of introspection about ascertaining where I am. And and when you don't know where you are, sometimes you pray in that connection. <laughs> You know, I need more light to be where I am so I can be honest with myself and I don't cheat myself trying to be something I cannot be yet. I would like to be, but I cannot be yet. So <laughs> yeah, that's what's coming that today. Hopefully that, that helps. That really actually answered the question. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for asking that. Thank you. Yeah, very nice question. Okay, so we're almost two hours and we have shared a few. So I don't want to throw an overdose onto anyone. So we also need time to process and ruminate and pray and continue our festival, celebration, pilgrimage tomorrow (laughs) and the day after tomorrow and so on and so forth. So I think we can put here the, the Harikata to rest for a few hours and continuing tomorrow. So thank you so much for your time, presence, attention, questions, and sincerity.
ಅನಂತಕೋತಿ ವೈಷ್ಣವೃಂದಕೀ ಗೌರ ಹರಿ ಹರಿ